Welcome to What Are You Sporting About podcast, a podcast about business, employment, sports, and entertainment to help educate, support, and guide you to your next level. Here's your host, attorney Savania DeBarros. Hey, 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 everybody. I'm Savania DeBarros, protector of athletes, and I'm excited to have another guest on this episode of What Are You Sporting About? But listen, I have to remind you all, if you have not yet subscribed, I don't know what you're doing, but you're like, go ahead and subscribe, all right? I know you're already listening to podcasts. You have your favorite platform where you get your podcast. We are on those platforms. So locate your favorite, favorite podcasting platform. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And today I'm super excited because I get an opportunity to speak with someone around a subject area that a lot of us shy away from, but it's still a major part of all of our lives in a good way and bad ways. (laughs) So I'm excited to dive in. And I want to give you guys a little, a small snippet about who is in the room today. And so if you are watching this live, if you're listening to this, go ahead and drop your questions into the comments section. If you're watching from a platform where you can actually with us, Let us know where you're listening from as well, but give us some of your questions that you may have so that we can ask those questions live and really provide some value to you guys today. So today I get the opportunity to interview Mr. Mark Willis. He is a man that's on a mission to help you think differently about your money. Listen, how many of us need that? Okay, we definitely need that in our lives. When you think differently about your money, you will also be able to think differently about your economy and your future. So after graduating with six figures of student loan debt, who has six figures of student loan high, I I can't be the only one, Uh, (laughs) and discovering a way to turn his debt into real wealth as he watched everybody lose their retirement savings and home equity in 2008, he knew that he needed to find a more predictable way to meet his financial objectives and those of his clients. Mark is a certified financial planner, He's a three-time number one best-selling author, the owner of Lake Growth Financial Services, which is a financial firm located in Chicago. And he's a co-host of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Over the years, he has also helped hundreds of his clients take back control of their financial future and build their businesses with proven tax-efficient financial solutions unknown to most financial gurus. And he's become known as... Okay, this is a trademark name, not your average financial planner, right? So welcome to the stage. It is an honor to have you here. I'm super excited to dive into the content, learn more about what you do, how you even got into this field. But first, I want to start off with the main question I ask everybody. What are you sporting about? Well, thank you, Savania, for having me on. And you've obviously built an incredible of helping people become aware of specifically athletes and becoming aware of you know their business life, their career life, their income, and more. So thank you for what you're doing. I've had the great privilege of working with business owners, real estate investors, uh, NFL Super Bowl champions, and my clients uh, all across the country. And most people I work with, though, are just trying to become more intentional about their financial life. They have felt, as they tell me when they meet with me one-on-one to go over their goals and concerns, they tell me things like, you know, I just feel like I'm a tennis ball floating down the gutter of life. And I don't want that for my clients. I don't want that for my own life. I want to help folks move upstream financially to a better and brighter future. 
And so that's what I'm sporting about every single day. I want to move the ball forward and giving people something that can feel like a, a sense of control, predictability, and, and an actual financial plan. Go figure. All right. When most of our financial vehicles and assets and tools that we are being pushed on by the oh so average financial media tend to get beat up in the markets when somebody sneezes the wrong way or somebody tweets the wrong tweet, that's not a financial plan. That's hope and guess and pray, right? Let's build something that's solid, that's rock solid, that can couple with our overall objectives in our personal life, our professional life, and do it in a way that doesn't take unnecessary risks. Sure, I'm good for risks, but not unnecessary risks. We don't want to do that in our sports careers. We don't want to do that in our financial lives either. Oh, that's woof. That was good. I need to start off, though, with the last part of what you said and then maybe segue into how you kind of got into this field. But unnecessary risk. So everything that we do, um, I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm also a business owner. You know, people don't really consider lawyers to be entrepreneurs, but I am a, an entrepreneurial lawyer. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of risk in that, right? There was a risk in me deciding at whatever point I was going to go to law school. So there's so many different things that led up to that point. But it was a risk worth taking. Either it's going to work out or it's not, but I can learn a lot of things from if it didn't work out. And how can I apply that? Did I do what would I want to try and, and go forward in that aspiration again, now learning what I know to be true if it didn't pan out? But some people engage in risky behavior that doesn't make sense. It's not strategic. And so it tends to put them into a bigger hole. I want you to talk about that a little bit around unnecessary risk and how that factors into the financial planning or financial strategy stage and what people can do to kind of recognize if they're just being unnecessary risk takers. Well, we see it all the time on the sports field. And I think that oftentimes we take unnecessary risk off the sports field too. I know some NFL players have recently gotten into hot water for things that they did off the sports field that they just shouldn't have been doing. And it's ruined their careers. Unfortunately, uh, that's the case. We can do the same with our financial life too. Let me keep the sports analogy going for just a little bit more here. Let's imagine that you walk onto a sports field. Maybe it's like a big soccer field or something like that. And you walk on with your soccer ball under your arm and your cleats on and you're ready to play some soccer. But as you walk onto this field, you notice that some people are playing soccer. Other people are playing football. Still other people are playing chess. Maybe somebody else is throwing a javelin. They're all playing different games. And when everyone's on the same field, but playing different games, people are going to get hurt, especially the guy who's throwing that javelin, maybe toward the chess players, right? You want to watch out for those guys. So the problem with the Wall Street model of financial planning is that we're all in that same field, the stock market, but we're all playing different games. Case in point, maybe you're doing dividend stock investing, but I'm doing meme stocks or day trading. Okay, maybe I'm, you know, jumping in and out of value and getting into growth and you're moving from growth and into value. So on and on it goes. The only people who win there are the financial advisors who are taking a fee off of your assets. They literally call it assets and our management fees. And according to the Department of Labor, a 1% fee on your assets over a long period of time, say 30 years, 35 years, according to the Department of Labor, will eat up almost a third of your life savings just to fees. Savania, so, that is unacceptable. 
because that's assuming that we have modest market growth. I'll give you one more unnecessary risk. Why is it, you know, where is it written that we have to put our money into things that we can't control? A 401k, an IRA, these are things that we cannot control and we have no access to. And yet the market certainly has plenty of access to our money during those many decades. You know, for example, this year, the markets are down 25, 30, 35%, depending on what index you're invested in and tracking. This is unacceptable because once you lose a dollar, it takes more than a dollar to get it back. You know, <clears throat> if you have a dollar and you lose 50%, you're down to 50 cents. What does it take? So you've lost 50%. What does it take to get back to that dollar? It takes a 100% rate of return. You lost 50%, but now to get back to even, you have to make double your money, go from 50 cents to a dollar. How often does the market double? Not that often. How often does it tank 50%? Well, it's happened three times in the last, uh, since the start of the 2000s. So I'm just, I guess I'm less than enthused. As a certified financial planner, do I have investments in the market? Sure. Is it where I keep the vast majority of my real wealth? Absolutely not. It's not necessary. It's an unnecessary risk. Oof. That was so deep on so many different levels. So, and I love how you how you started off asking like what game are you playing because you can see visually you have the idea of all of these different players and how they show up in the game of the financial industry, which is extremely vast. But if you're not so education is huge because if you're not aware of how your money will work for you or not, you're not going to know what game you need to play and how you need to play it. So that is so critical. I like to kind of, yeah, I want to definitely ask you, I, I definitely learned something from that bit. <laughs> I learned something from that bit. A lot of athletes, and I will even say first-generation millionaires, they they understand that they need to diversify assets. They might not necessarily know exactly how, or the who that needs to support them in this, but there are critical questions that they're missing. What are some of the key questions that future millionaires should be asking, which could be also professional athletes or could be our college athletes now moving into the name image and likeness space, entrepreneurs who have hit their first million dollars and are seeking to diversify. What are the key questions they need to be asking their financial planner or strategist to make sure that they're not playing a game that is essentially putting them into the space of hustling backwards? Yeah, that's a great question. Really thoughtful question. I would wonder first, what does diversification mean? You know that word? There's the quote from the Princess Bride movie. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. That's a great quote from an old movie, classic movie. So the word diversification oftentimes in most people's mind is to spread the risk out, there's that word again, among a number of different mutual funds, stocks, bonds, and to diversify between stocks and bonds. Well, that works fine until it doesn't. If you have all of your eggs in 12 different baskets and that 12 basket bundle is all on the same truck and that truck goes off a cliff, what good did all of our diversification do us? Case in point, this year, we're in the end of 2022. Bonds are down. Stocks are down. How is diversification doing for us? It's like that Dr. Phil question. How's that working out for you? So we need money in 
multiple asset classes. We need what's called non-correlated assets. We need some eggs on different trucks so that if one goes off a cliff, we've got plenty of other eggs and other vehicles, other trucks. So what can we do? We can start asking better questions, better questions of our financial professional or financial advisor. You can work with a certified financial planner who should be able to help you, you think through this in a very complete way. I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my hand. I didn't know much about money. I had to learn. I had to learn. And I don't expect the folks listening to this to feel like they need to get a CFP designation just to figure out how to manage their own money. Just like they don't need to be an attorney. They need to call you, Savanya, right? They need to call you if they need that help. So, you know, I call my plumber if I need some plumbing help. Same thing with our finances. So, but I think that we can take back some control of our finances by asking ourselves better questions as well. What is a good question to ask? And you can do this for free. You can do this in 10 minutes. You can do this, pause the podcast and do it right now. Just ask yourself this one question. What do I really want my money doing for me? It's so easy. It's such a simple question. Seems obvious. But so often we live our whole life doing what other people want our money to do for them. We spend it on marketing, advertising. We buy the stuff that we don't need and can't afford and don't even like to impress people we don't even know. We can put it into assets like uh, that we have no business putting our money into. And it's why so many people who, who might become a millionaire end up losing that money or decamillionaire and lose that money because they made some wrong choices. So asking yourself, what do you truly want? It's a great question. It's a freeing question. So I like to make myself a little wish list. What do I want my money doing for me? What characteristics would I like it to have? Let's take the labels off of money, 401k, savings account, real estate, business investment. Let's just set all that aside for a minute and let's instead think about what are our attributes? What are our characteristics? What are our functions that we want money to do? You know, I if you gave me the choice between Tiger Woods golf clubs or Tiger Woods golf swing, which one wins the championship, Savanya? Is it the clubs or is it his swing? I don't know. I'm going to say the swing. You bet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah. If you've got his swing, you'll win the championship or or maybe, you know, Maybe you'll get up there anyway, uh, right. but, the, but the clubs are just, you know, lifeless just little pieces of wood and yeah, tool. Yeah. yeah. So financial vehicles, stocks, real estate, whatever, they're just tools. What do you want the money doing for you? Do you want it to be accessible cash for investing? Do you want it to be accessible for purchases? Like you might need your house repaired or your car or your kids, your own kids college. Do you want it to be tax-free when you get access to the money? Do you want it to be a competitive rate of return that keeps up with inflation? Do you want it private and protected from predators if they try to sue you? If you're in a public space, that's going to happen. Hate to say it. So I hadn't, feel like I, hadn't thought, I hadn't thought about the private or public because, okay, so we did set up a life insurance vehicle for both myself and my husband and our child. And for our, so the goal of setting that policy up for our child so that it can generate its own equity, right? So instead of like putting him into a college fund, technically, where that money is only used for school, one thing that we recognized and was taught was if we only put it into this particular classified school bucket and he used it for something other than school, it would be taxable. So we created a fund where that money can generate additional, its own equity, and he can use it for anything tax-free. But I had not thought about the private or public aspect of that. And that's just a matter of ignorance, of not knowing. 
that bit. So this is, I mean, this is really, really good because I think sometimes we have an idea of how we want to create a legacy, right? We want to change some things, give our kids and our grandkids opportunities that we may not have had, but we may not have a full picture to really think holistically of how we can protect and grow our money in different ways that could truly be sustainable assets for multi-generations. Because yeah. I, in my mind, I think it takes at least three generations for you to really see how well your wealth is sustainable. Oh, that's good. Oh, that gave me the goosebumps. I love that. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, because think about it. I think it was Zoria Steinem who said the wealthy plan for four generations, but the poor plan for Saturday night. See what I'm saying? They, there you go. Because I, I just had a conversation with someone the other day and I said, the things that we're doing now, why I work so hard the way that I do now is because my great-grandchildren are going to be the ones who benefit from this work, not my child. Mm -hmm. I have to teach them how to be a steward and how to maintain that, right? And this to pass that on, but it will be my great-grandchildren, my child's grandchildren. Yeah. Who will be in a position to really now live off of that that wealth. That's a true yeah. financial plan. You know, I want us to think like tree farmers and many of our clients. I help them think. I think part of it is just helping them frame the conversation around their questions to a more, you know, reasonable time frame. We're so short term thinking. Our our attention spans are the, the length of a, a TikTok video these days. <clears throat> I don't want your financial plan to um be <laughs> such short duration that a TikTok video will outlast your money. That's not a financial plan, right? We need to have long-term financial thinking. And I love what you're saying that, hey, you know, why should it stop with me? Why should my financial plan stop with my life? You know, just because my heart stops beating, what's to say that my mission and my values and my dreams shouldn't continue? Why should it stop with my children or even grandchildren, great-grandchildren? So I love that. First of all, well done. And you're right. The life insurance chassis that you've set up is an interesting tool. It's a very compelling tool. It's a club in the club, you know, bag, right? It's just a club. But if it's used properly, you know, the right swing, let's say, applied to it can really do some cool things. I'll name a few. You've mentioned one already, which is it's an exempt asset under, you know, many states. You can avoid bankruptcy proceedings with the cash. You can keep that money safe. <clears throat> There's protection against predators if they try to sue you, let's say. That's a big deal in the sports world, but it's a big deal in real estate and many other businesses that you might be getting involved in over time. It can be camouflaged. That's my word, not the official word, but it can be camouflaged because it can be hidden from many financial aid formulas like the FAFSA form. It does not count against your parents or yourself if you're applying for your child's student aid. That's awesome, right? If I've got a money, money in a 529 plan or an education savings account and Savania, you've smartly put your money into some life insurance. Then you and I both bring our kids to apply for that college. The college financial aid office is going to look at my big, fat, juicy college account and say, wow, well, I don't think Mark's kids need any grants or scholarships. We'll just take his 529. Thank you. Meanwhile, you might have 10 million bucks sitting inside a cash value life insurance that the schools don't bother asking about. And so you get away with better grants, scholarships, and more because of that fact. So that's a beautiful picture right there. But beyond that, cash value in life insurance is tax-free when you access the money. It's competitively, competitively growing. It's not going to be double-digit growth, but it's going to be nice, steady, predictable growth. 
And as you said, it creates a legacy instantly. You've created for your family something that will outlast you, which unless you are Picasso, things don't automatically get more valuable when you die, except for life insurance. Right. And we pay more with that because my goal was to find a vehicle to really start us off of something that's bigger than what we already have that could generate its own equity. That was mm -hmm. very, very important to me because when people think of insurance, generally, they think of insurance, I pay into it for a certain amount of time, either I use it or I don't, but I lose whatever value I paid into it after, you know, that 20, 30 year mark, whatever it is. And I didn't want to lose that. So th that was, but that's just me. I'll pay more to get better benefits. <laughs> yeah. I'll pay more because the long-term part of that is so much more better. That payoff is so much more better. And so I want, I want to kind of segue into a different thing because you started from a place where, as you define it, you say you didn't come from money. I didn't come from money. Thankfully, I did come from a family of, of ancestors who understood the value of legacy. So I come from legacy creators where, you know, being of African-American descent, being, you know, in this country with people who were generations before me who owned multiple parcels of land, that's huge. That's a huge, huge deal. And that those pieces of land is still in my family. So having that backdrop, I'm like, okay, I got to build onto that. My grandmother would always tell me, if you have land, you always have money, right? So there's so many different people who are trying to figure out how can I create or have an asset where I will always and forever have money. Where yep. am I going with this is being your own bank. I always and have heard the coin of be your own bank, create your own bank. And it's one of the things that you even presented to me was how can people actually fire their, their banker and create and be their own bank. Mm. What suggestions do you have? Because if I'm coming from nothing, I don't have nothing. I'm looking at this like, okay, that's a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. So what are some strategies to help people actually get there? Well, first of all, what a great story. I'm so glad you know such a great family history and great stories and what you want to continue that story. And I agree. I think when you have land, you always have money. I think that's a great proverb. May I throw a little curveball into that proverb? Sure. I think, what is it that makes us have the land? Like, how do I have land? How do I have the house that I own? I was sitting down talking to a real estate investor. He had 10 paid off properties and he was collecting, you know, five, 6,000 bucks a month off of these properties after expenses and everything. So good for him, right? But we were talking about, well, what is it that actually makes those yours? And he's like, well, I love it because I can put my hand on the bricks. I can, you know, I can feel the real estate. It's real. And I said, well, what makes it real? And we had to get down deep there, but it's the contract. The contract is what makes it yours. The land is only yours because you have some somewhere in, filed away somewhere in the county paperwork that says that's my piece of dirt right over there. And that's what I want to focus on. The civilization that we all enjoy today is built on contracts. It's built on trust. You know, as an attorney, you know very well how contracts are really the bedrock of civilization. And that's where I think the majority of our wealth can reside is in a contract. That contract might be a land contract. It might be your home or, you know, your rental properties. Life insurance is a contract. Now, how do banks make money? 
Well, you know, there's a great book out there called Debt, The First 5,000 Years by David Graeber. And Savania, that that is a bone-rattling like title for a book. 5,000 years of debt? What? So if that's been our history as a human civilization, that debt has existed for that long, we can reasonably assume it's going to continue forever. As long as we're humans, we're going to have this thing called debt with us. Now, imagine how many lives have been shattered, how many marriages have been broken, how many lives have ended because of that four-letter word. But also think of all the treasure and all the wealth and all the power that's accumulated for the banks. Okay, so banks are the most profitable business in the universe, in all of human, at least the known universe. All right. And if you can participate in the banking system, you can, by nature, participate in those profits and wealth that the banks are accumulating. And maybe you can do it a little better than the mega banks are doing to most folks today. You know, I just met a couple yesterday. They've got $700,000 of student loan debt. Let that sink in for a minute. $700,000. Now, who's going to benefit from that? Okay. I know other people who are in there collecting Social Security still having their Social Security check garnished because of some debts that they carry. That's unacceptable. But what if you could flip the script and become your own banker, bank on yourself, and not setting up a FDIC-insured bank, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the verb of banking. How do we bring the function of banking? We talk about that list of money functions. One of them should be collateralization through loans. I want to be able to borrow from myself. I want to be able to bank on myself. I don't want to have to rely on some other banker. To I don't want to have to kiss his ring or her ring. I don't want to have to you know, be approved for a loan. I just want to be able to access money and use it as a bank and then pay myself back at whatever pace and interest and profitability structure that I wish. Now, I'll give you a quick story and then I'll hush. You know, we have a number of life insurance policies too. And my wife and I have over the years built those up and we've been able to use those to wipe out all of our student loan debt. We've been able to borrow against our cash value, the, the equity, as you say, the revenue generating account called cash value. It's money I can spend on this side of the grave, which is the best time to spend money, in my opinion, as when you're still alive. And so we've been able to borrow from those policies to invest. We've invested in businesses. We've invested in real estate. We've invested in other family members and friends. And it's become, for sure, a form of banking. We don't have to rely on, I've never had to rely on government loans, thank God. And I've never had to go to a bank to ask for a loan. We've been able to use our own bank to invest in our business and more. What a great relief. You know, that's a, that's a whole lot of stress I don't have to deal with. Again, I'm happy to take risks. And as an entrepreneur myself, I have to, just like you. But I don't need unnecessary risk. I don't need the risk that the banker is going to take away my line of credit. I'll tell you one last story. And then I'm, I had a gentleman who's a client. He had a million dollar line of credit with his local bank. He'd been with them for 20 plus years. Okay. So very established line of credit, happy with the bank relationship. He was using that line of credit to operate his business. And then boom, recession hits. And the bank gives him a call and says, we are terming out your loan. Give us our million dollars back. We need it in the next five years. And he was like, I am done with these guys. I'm going to fire my banker. So over the next five years, he paid that banker down. He also built up policy, a cash value life insurance policy. We call them bank on yourself designed whole life insurance. Very important. He built that up over that same five-year period. And now he operates his whole business on his own line of credit to himself. 
I don't think he's going to deny himself for a loan. And if he gets into a tight bind or a tight spot, he can stop repaying the loan, then pick it back up again when he's ready to. It's just a better means of financial control. So it's a great tool in the toolbox. It's not all we recommend for clients. There's reasons not to do this strategy, but that's one that has brought a lot of peace of mind to myself personally and to a lot of our clients. Ooh, you have just like lifted the the hood on my brain. I'm like, okay, I knew we needed to, to create this structure, but I didn't know I can do all of this other stuff with it as well. This is so dope. <laughs> <laughs> because I can fund my own stuff through the policy that I already created. I mean, this is amazing. So, okay. So one thing you already, that you talked about in terms of contracts being the bedrock. Okay. As an attorney, I absolutely love contracts. I'm always trying to educate my clients and possible potential clients about how you can utilize contracts to protect the assets that you already have, but how you can also make more money. And I'm how... They, how contracts can coexist to becoming your own bank and investing into other people's businesses. So investing as a separate business owner, maybe you want to do business, you know, business to business, B2B is how people would say it. Or maybe you're just a, a sole investor taking the assets that you've already created and, and investing that into somebody else's business. I recently had a conversation with a client around licensing. And then another young lady who's coming on, hopefully as a new client around licensing. One thing I realized is that a lot of entrepreneurs don't know that this is a thing. They're not aware of it. And this is another place where, based on what you've just shared with us, how you can create your own bank. If there is any piece of intellectual property that only belongs to you that you have that you can monetize, that is a way where you can license that out to other businesses and get paid over and over and over again. So now we think about the equitable life insurance policies, and especially if you have a policy where you can you can add cash value on top of what you already pay without penalty. Well, guess what? You can take a portion or all of that money that you make from your licensing deals and just keep stacking, mm-hmm. stack the, yep. the Benjamins. That's right. Okay, over and over and over again. But then going back to what you said before about not looking at diversification, because see, I thought diversification meant that, yeah, you diversify your assets, but you diverse, diversify them in different vehicles. People are seeing diversification as, I'm going to create different ways of how my money will will work. So like, being on a freeway, you got a six lane freeway and each lane is considered a different aspect of how your money will move, but it's still in the same pot. Everybody's still on the same street. So you're saying not just diversify, but if you diversify, diversify your, your assets in different asset buckets. So instead of, instead of my financial vehicles being on one, one, you know, one street, maybe something is going on, on the other side of the median. You know what I mean? Yep. So you think about putting, implementing licensing contracts or whatever you have, like whatever your products may be that you sell. If you have insurance policies and how you want to, how you want to maybe grow that pot, those are all ways that can help you build your own bank and become your own bank and continue creating a sustainable, financially free lifestyle. Hey, look, you know, over the last couple of years, the Federal Reserve has printed more money than at any other time in history. 40% of all the money that's ever been printed 
was printed in the last two years in this country. That should say something about what's going on in this world right now. And the money, I guess, supply has been increased. Now, that's on the federal level. What if we could go from federal banking to fractal banking? What does the word fractal mean? Yeah, I was about to say, you're going to have to break that. Yeah. Break I'm going to go a little dirty, but I'll try to keep it light. So so fractals, it's not the, the fraggle rock that we all loved watching growing up. Fractals are more like, they're more like shapes that repeat themselves as you zoom in or zoom out. So I want you to think about like a fern in your garden. You know, the, the leaf on a fern looks like the whole plant. Or you could look at the, the shape of, you know, like a hurricane or a spiraling arm of a galaxy. There are fractals all throughout nature. DNA is a fractal. So our human body actually is a fractal. It's actually pretty beautiful how that works. In fact, let's drill all the way down. The DNA is literally a contract you have with life. You are fighting against the, the entropy of the universe with a contract. Let that sink in. Your written contract that makes you, you, and every one of your trillion cells is a contract with life. Now, the question is, Will you take that and apply that basic fundamental law of the universe to your financial life too? Will you have a contract with your financial life? If you do, boy, you can do some incredible things. You can take advantage of opportunities like you were just mentioning. I have a, a gentleman, he's a professional athlete and he has 10 different businesses, all of which have contracts that make him part owner. And he uses some life insurance policies as a reserve to build his own money supply. Forget the federal reserve. He's created a fractal reserve system for himself, and he's increasing his own money supply. He's creating his own economy. He's banking on himself. That, to me, sounds like true freedom. We're not having to wait for somebody over in, at the Federal Reserve to decide our fates. We're not having to wait and see who's going to be in the White House next or whatever, or you know, who's our guys in, our guys out, our gals in, our gals out. No, we're doing this thing with our own efforts and our own family and our own future. That to me is something I can get out of bed and, and go chase in the morning rather than just, you know, again, being that tennis ball floating down the gutter of life. I want to be able to create my own supply for my own future for my great grandchildren, like you said. So anyway, love it. I'm cheering you on. Keep up the good work. Man, that's massive. I mean, think about it, guys. Like, I mean, so, okay. I'm sorry, because I know there's a huge stereotype in the black and, and Latino community. Like, when we get rich, what we go and buy. Going by a chain, or we going by a car, like a super expensive car, like literally the a car that costs the, is the value of a house, right? So if you think about if you put the same amount, if you're gonna go and buy a hundred thousand dollar car, that hundred thousand dollars could look so different to you in a year, maybe even less than that, depending on how you invest it and where you put your money. So. I'm going to just say, you ain't even got to show people you got money. Just enjoy your own money, like increase your own bank, right? People don't need to know what you got. I drive a Fiat. I love Fifi. That's her name, Fifi. Fifi gets me where I need to go. She's especially this, this inflation community now with this high gas rates. I love that I have Fifi because while other people are paying 100 over $100 for a full tank of gas, I'm paying 35 to 40 Okay, which is way more than I would want to pay. But at the end of the day, we got to make, and I feel like it kind of falls into like the unnecessary risk. We don't know what the future looked like. We don't know what's going to happen to us. And so why create unnecessary risk, not just for yourself, but for your family, 
when you could invest those dollars into better places that could create uh, much quicker sustainable wealth for you and your family. So we got to do better with that. Mark, this has been so amazing. Like I could literally talk to you for hours because I'm always trying to strategize on how I can increase my leg, like really make my legacy better. Cause I know it's not about me being here. And there are some things that I want to live on beyond my lifespan to really, really impact my community in ways that I might not be able to do while I'm here. And the only way to do that is to be able to have a vehicle to help the people who will outlive me to do that, mm-hmm. right? To fulfill yeah. those assignments. So this is really, really, really amazing. I can't wait to connect with you again soon. But for now, I want to just close out and ask you if you have any advice for an up-and-coming entrepreneur, someone who's already been in the game for a while and they're kind of feeling a little down and don't feel like they have the resilience to really you know, move forward with trying to create, so to speak, their own bank or or invest into a vehicle that can be, be the beginning steps of a road of financial freedom. What's some advice you could give them to at least get started or get back on the track? Well, hey, this is probably going to be a maybe sound trite at first, but I truly believe it. And again, as a certified financial planner, I have to look at all assets on someone's balance sheet. And many people oftentimes forget the biggest, most important asset, and that is you are your greatest investment. So investing in yourself and pouring into your education, maybe it's your health, maybe it's your spiritual life, maybe it's your relationships, maybe it's your financial education. But if you're 25 years old or whatever, and you're you're getting, or you're even younger, maybe going through college, or maybe you're 45, 55, you still have more time ahead of you than you'll ever have again in your lifetime. So you might as well invest in your greatest investment. If you make 100 grand a year for the next 40 years, well, that's a lot of money. $100,000 times 40 years, that's 4 million bucks. That's not accounting for any pay raises or inflation. Most people don't put $4 million next to their name on their net worth statement. But your name is actually the most important part of that net worth statement. 4 million bucks, just as one example, right? So how many people are gonna invest in themselves to make that 4 million become five, six, 50, $100 million. Could you do that by learning a few things about how money works? If so, I'd say recommend, you know, pick yourself up, try a course on money, read a book on money, keep listening to great podcasts like this one and definitely subscribe. I totally agree with what you said at the beginning. So don't forget to give her a five-star review as well. So happy to to continue this conversation with you as, as you'd like. Absolutely. And I want to make sure I have a place where people can connect with you. I have your website, which is lakegrowth.com. Is that correct? Yes. And I will say maybe the best way to connect if you guys would like to continue the discussion, I do a 15 minute quick strategy session. It gives you a chance to ask any question that wasn't answered today or helps you dig a little deeper to see if working with me or one of my colleagues would be a good fit. That best website to go to to get on my calendar and also to answer your questions and find our podcast is kickstartwithmark.com. So it's a kickstartwithmark with a K.com. Awesome. Awesome. This is so, so amazing. So, guys, make sure if you want your strategy session, go to kickstart with Mark with a K, right? You got it. Okay. That's some fast type in there. Okay, dot com so you can get your strategy session. If you don't take advantage of this, shame on you guys because I learned I learned a lot. And this is just a podcast interview. 
And I look, I kind of think I know a lot of things more than the average person or the average entrepreneur only because I have invested in myself in different ways. And so when you invest in yourself, you also get the benefit of being educated by people who are smarter than you in different fields, right? So take advantage of this opportunity and connect with Mark. Listen, we all want to be financially free, but we also have to work on the mindset too to know that we are worthy of being financially free. Just because your forefathers may have not left you anything does not mean that you don't you don't have it in you or have the capability to change that narrative. You got everything you need. The only thing is you just may need somebody to help guide you to the right space for you, right? So take advantage of that. I want to remind you all again, if you have not yet, subscribe to What He's Sporting About podcast because people like Mark come on here and they drop the 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 diamonds, okay, the gems that really will help you to become free in a different area of your life that you may not have thought was a problem. Even if you are successful, there are ways that we can always build on top of that, all right? This is how the rich stay rich because they know all the secrets, all right? So make sure you subscribe to What He's Sporting About podcast. If you have not yet gotten access to the NIL Combine, make sure you go to bit.ly forward slash NIL Combine dash all access. So you can also be in the room for conversations similar to this and other aspects around name, image, and likeness. All right, guys. So I'm Savannah Ross, protector of athletes. And without further ado, I'm going to let you guys go. But it's always a pleasure to educate you, motivate, and support you to your very next level. Until next time, guys, I'll check you out later. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on What Are You Sporting About? podcast. Make sure to visit our website, prosportlawyer.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite platform is so you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or iHeartRadio. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, What Are You Sporting About? Attorney Savania DeBarros is available for private consulting at sldebarros.com. And remember, we're here to educate, support, and guide you in your journey to success because we're all sporting about something. Thank you.